But this one is like my freaking dream action figure of all time. I mean, I I didn't think it would be the, as good as it is, frankly. I I knew that NECA does fantastic work, and I wanted to work with them. But I think they really uh, knocked this one out of the park with all the little, the, the, I mean, I've got two heads. You know, who doesn't want two heads? And it's got a little belt with a real dagger. It's got real clothing. And they made the face and makeup and hair just perfect. I mean, I'm really, really happy with it. And I know I know fans will be, too. I've got a lot of the ones from, uh, I think, 1998 that came with the chainsaw and the witch broomstick and everything like that. And this oh, one th- this one is absolutely phenomenal. My God, I'm holding it in my hand right now, the signature edition. Leo, you had a question about the manufacturing of these dolls. Yeah, what did the action figure design entail? Was it based on photos of your likeness or a 3D body scan, perhaps? Um, you know, I don't think they actually did a 3D body scan. They uh, they did not for this, but but um, it was based mostly on photos that we gave them, different poses with the face that I really liked, in particular the winking shot. You know, I love the fact that Elvira has one of, one of the heads says they're winking and looking kind of smart-ass, you know, like she does. I think that really, really works rather than just a straightforward, normal face, which is nice too. But um, yeah, I, I had a lot of input. They, uh, they were very, they were really great with me about letting me uh, make all the comments I wanted, change up the makeup, the skin color, the the hair, you know, a little, they were very open to all of that and they really, really got it, you know, so uh, I couldn't have had anybody better working on this with me. And so these are going to be available starting March 18th. Again, you can get them at Target, Target.com, as well as Holothon.com. That's H-A-U-L-A-T-H-O-N.com. So I've got the signature version in my hands, as I said, and it's stunning. So it's one of two versions people can get. So what's the difference between the two different versions? Well, basically, it's that with the one version, you get my signature. And trust me. I sat there and signed all those signatures. Uh, yeah, I still, my, I still have carpal tunnel syndrome on my right hand. <clears throat> so, yes, I still remember that uh, signature thing very, very well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, I mean, that sells it right there, I'll tell you. Now, I would imagine that you get first approval personally on any and all items pertaining to the likeness of Elvira. We've seen m- mouse pads to shoes and uh, spectacular pinball machines and coffee. Are there any things you recall off the top of your head over the years that were particularly so wild and out of the box that you actually said, you know what, I don't know if that really suits the brand? Pretty much, I do anything. <laughs> Ask anyone. Uh, no, I, I, there's nothing I've ever turned down. I should have turned down that first action figure, I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, man, I really should have. But um, I had even a car, a smelly thing that hangs in your car, and I even did that. Um, recently, just this last month, we came out with a Chia Pet, which I was a little ambivalent about being a Chia Pet, but um, I really loved the way it came out. Buddy. So, I think kind of the funnier, the cheesier it is, the better it goes with Elvira, like the, the mouse pad that you were talking about. That was actually my idea. I came up with that. I was in Europe and saw a mouse pad of a girl with a big, you know, a large bust. And it was great. You could rest your wrist on it when you were, you know, using the computer. And so I um, went to Creepsville, who does tons of my merchandising, and uh said, you guys, you've got to track down a way to do that because it, it, it's just perfect, you know, and, and they did. And so yeah, for me, cheesy, you know, 
the only thing I might turn down is if it was really, really um, too classy. Elvira is just not kind of classy yet, you know. And in fact, when my perfume came out in the, I think, 90s or something, I can't remember that long ago, but when my perfume came out, they wanted to sell it and market it for a higher end audience that would sell it like Bloomingdale's. And I was absolutely adamant that no, 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 it has to have a really low price point and sell at like Rite Aid, you know, and different, different um, drugstores. So I, I never went, Elvira's just more like a beer drinking gal, not the, you know, uh, Cabernet. Yeah, no, but that's smart. That's amazing consistency that, that we all know and love. And congratulations, by the yeah. way, on your massive auction at Julian's that happened back in December. G- uh, Lauren and I yeah. were like desperately trying to snag something, but we got outbid every time it was going out of control. Huh. I just wondered, we noticed parts of the macabre mobile, but not the macabre mobile itself. And we've seen it on display several times over the years. Where does the current macabre mobile currently reside? Well, it's really funny. I have two places that are vying uh, for it to put put it in the car museums. Um, I'm kind of weighing those two options right now. But in the meantime, it's in Chino, California, in my cousin's garage. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, wow. it really is. Um, he, is a, he is a car racer and car builder, so he has this enormous garage where he's, he's storing it for me, and he takes it out first spin with his his grandkids in it and so they're having a blast with it but it's soon to be somewhere that the public can go visit oh that's fantastic that's going to be great leo you had another question about the action figure while we're on it yeah are there any uh tiny fun easter egg details on the figure to look out for perhaps well my my favorite thing my favorite detail um on it is that it's got my little tiny belt which almost looks like leather. It's not, of course, it's non-leather, but little tiny belt. And then it has a little teeny tiny gold dagger, just like the dagger that I wear to keep the belt together. And that, that tiny little dagger, everybody has to be very careful not to lose that. Um, but it goes in the little belt holster right there. So I think that's my, you know, one of my absolute favorite things about it. I couldn't imagine they could actually do it separately and add it in as a, as a piece rather than sculpting it on the figure. Yeah, no, we absolutely love that. And yes. looking into the what the future holds for Elvira, I'll tell you, it has been a blast to see what you've been doing with Dynamite Comics and the Elvira meets Vincent Price series at the end of last year was a particular fave of mine. What's next with that collaboration? I've got an awesome one coming up soon. I hope they don't kill me for talking about it, but it's actually the death of Elvira. Wow. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Oh God, I know. Finally, I'm to die. But uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that is coming up very soon. Um, I'm also coming out with the the paperback to my um, book. That'll be in the fall sometime to my autobiography, and it has three collectible covers. Um, so I think fans are really really going to like that, as opposed to just one paperback end of story but kind of took a cue from the comic book people who have done all the really great different 
you know, uh, covers, comic book covers for each issue. Oh, and they've been fantastic. My God, the artwork has been insane. It's been so great to see you in that in that realm, too. Like after all this time now, you've been back with new TV specials like 13 Nights of Elvira on Peacock and the 40th anniversary show you did with Shudder that have been absolutely fantastic. They're current and they're smart. And it's more than just the writing. It's all in your performance and how those lines are delivered. What are the little things that you've done to evolve the character over time so that it always stays so fresh and innovative? Oh, my gosh. What are they? Well, um, you know, (laughs) kind of getting writers, finding writers that really, really get the character and that really come up with newer, hipper sort of things, you know, over the years. I did have one writer who was my favorite writer of all time, um, John Paragon, also known as John B. the Genie in TV's Playhouse. But John was my writing partner, wrote Mistress of the Dark with me and um, all of my other TV shows and video out, uh, you know, um, releases that we did, but John unfortunately has passed away. And so I've been getting a few other writers here and there that really, really kind of bring fresh new, you know, material into the character and keep it, keep it a lot uh, fresher. So it doesn't, you know, just do the same old thing. So I think, you know, and I work with them, of course, I always do my own writing as well. And, um, but but you know they they bring in a new a new uh, you know angle on it so so it's really nice to have that happening. Well, as fans, it's it's just a pleasure to see constant Elvira in the world, twelve months a year, twenty four seven. We can't say enough yes. good things about that. So we'll yeah. end there. Listen, thank you so much for everything you've done and continue to do for this incredible genre. And congrats on these new figures. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon. The Boo Crew will be right back. <laughs> to move you won't be able to scream you won't be able to take your eyes off of Elvira's Haunted Hills allow me to present Elvira Nice meeting you, too. Elvira. Entertainer extraordinaire. See Elvira stretch herself as an actress in her most challenging role. I just love butterflies ever so much. Richard O'Brien in his most horrifying performance since the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh, why? 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 Snap out of it. Yeah, what are you going for, an Oscar? A film that is so steamy. Oh, Lord have mercy. So shocking. <laughs> Like another unfortunate Elizabeth's family traits, catalepsy. Fear of cats? You'll scream! Yes! Johan! You'll gasp! You'll die laughing! Damn, hate when that happens. From the masterfully macabre mind of Elvira. Right, like there's something going on in my mind. Elvira's Haunted Hills. The village people say this castle is evil. Eh, who listens to the village people anymore? (laughs) Go ahead, scream. 
That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew in the Speakeasy studio is the creator and actress behind one of the most recognizable and celebrated icons, not only in horror history, but in pop culture, period. So much so that she has evolved from not only being the face of the genre, easily as iconic as Frankenstein's monster, the bride, or Dracula, but she also transcends them all with her unmatched marketability, presence, and groundbreaking influence on the lives of millions of people who have been entertained by her humor, the whimsy of her darkness, and perhaps most importantly, as an inspirational role model of unapologetic strength and to never be afraid to be who you are while not taking crap from anyone, both in terms of her character and as a business person. She's been responsible for the most popular Halloween costume of all time, nationally syndicated TV series, a reality show, clothing, two cult classic films, pinball machines, countless DVD sets, video games, action figures, multiple comic book series, including the new one with Dynamite Comics, issue four, available now, a stunning 35th anniversary hardcover coffee table book, and more and more and more. It is an absolute honor to welcome... Cassandra Peterson, a.k.a. Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Yeah! Even I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) What what an introduction. Good heavens. Thank Thank you you so much for being here. You're welcome. It was worth the trip just to have that. (laughs) God. So let's start from the very, very beginning. Before the character of Elvira, what was your history with the horror genre? Well, I really started when I was a little kid. I was about in uh, probably second grade when my cousin, Danny, took me to the Chief Theater in Colorado Springs to see the House on Haunted Hills with Vincent oh. Price. And I was mesmerized by that movie. I mean, I dreamed about it every night like a nightmare, but also <laughs> like uh, <laughs> I had to have more of it. I had to see more. I had I really wanted more. So he started taking me to the, all the old Roger Corman movies that came up after that. Anything with Vincent Price in it, Tomb of Lygia and uh, Raven and uh, all of those movies that came around in those times. And I really got really, really hooked into it. It's like about second, third, fourth grader. And so when Christmas would roll around, I'd ask my parents to get me those Aurora model kits. I found some old horror, you know, magazines that you could buy these different things in the back, you know. And yeah, like them, Famous Monsters of Filmland and things exactly, like that. Yeah. Famous Monsters of Filmland was what I found. <laughs> they were in comic books too, things that I'd buy, like even Superman comic books would have... Uh, which I was really into then, would have uh, little ads for different horror things. So I'd, I bought these model kits and painted them of like Frankenstein and the mummy and Dracula and, uh, and all of those. So I just was really into it when I was a kid. That was really weird because I got to tell you, first of all, nobody was into it. And second of all, even less girls were into it. So less than nobody. <laughs> so that immediately earmarked me as a total geek. The goth movement, of course, hadn't been invented back then. I was like, you know, back with the dinosaurs. But I know, you know, I would have been a goth if there would have been such a thing. Yeah. But I it just started loving it, you know, at that time. And it just stuck with me my whole life. Is wow. that your favorite horror movie? Or is there something that you saw later that is <clears throat> your favorite? I actually think that still is my favorite. Yeah. I love it. I saw it not too long ago and it's still pretty creepy. Yeah. yeah. Vincent Price. I, I really I really loved it. I mean, I, I was very unhappy when they did a remake about 
<laughs> you know, I mean, I guess the remake was okay, but when you really, really love the original, you just, yeah. you know, yeah, well, you can't there. remake Vincent Price. Yeah. No, you can't. That's for damn sure. I've tried. It hasn't worked. <laughs> so I had read that Vincent Price had taught you to cook a fish in a dishwasher. Is that true? <laughs> and can you tell yeah. me how? Uh, well, I mean, I really got lucky meeting him. And that was uh, like one of the highlights of my life because he was such an icon to me as a child. And then when I had my show on local TV here at KHJ in yes. LA, we just threw it out there to Vincent Price. Would he come on my Halloween special? And he was doing a play at the time at the Westwood Theater. And he said, if I could plug my play, I'll come on your show. Went, you can plug anything you want. <laughs> and when he showed up, I just couldn't freaking believe it. And John Aston came as well. Wow. Wow. It was just a local show, you know. So to have those two come on, and they rang the doorbell and trick-or-treated at my house. That's how we had this set up. And, you know, Vincent Price was trick-or-treat, Elvira. <laughs> I, I remember, like, trying not to hyperventilate. And, you know, he was standing there talking, trying to be cool. But then we became friendly, and I saw him all the time, because we'd always be booked on the same talk show together, you know, Tom Snyder or Johnny Carson show or whatever show it happened to be. They'd pair us up, you know, because we were in kind of the same genre there. Kept running into him at shows and kept getting more friendly. And then when he would be given a, an award for something, they would always, always call me to present it. So we just got to know each other over the years really well and his wife. And then finally, we ended up having dinner one time and he was telling me about how to cook fish in the dishwasher. You just like wrap it in aluminum foil, set the dishwasher on the regular uh, cycle, wash your dishes, and when you're done, the fish is done. <laughs> so isn't that great? And it yeah. works. It's really great. That's amazing. Put a little butter in there, a little salt and pepper and some herbs. Does the soap taint the fish? <laughs> no, you wrap it really, really tight wow. in aluminum foil. I don't know if I would trust it, but I'd try it. <laughs> if it's good enough for Vincent Price, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know he was like a connoisseur. I mean, he wrote a cookbook. Yeah, that's he, right. He did he connoisseur and all that. It was so funny when when I was a little kid. My dad worked at Sears, and Vincent Price was the art buyer for Sears. Oh. He bought all the art that was sold at Sears. Oh my God. Believe it or not, wow. that was just so strange, right? Like art just paintings Sears that people could like, buy yeah. at the for their home that would sell at yeah, Sears. He would yeah. be the one who picked and it. He would be the one that picked it <laughs> and had it in all the Sears stores wow. across the country. He signed cookbooks to all the guys that month that like sold the most washing machines or dryers or whatever. And my dad did that month and he got the Vincent Price cookbook and had it signed to him. And that book unfortunately disappeared. I have like six copies of the book at home, but that book signed to my dad, no. I no longer have, which is such a bummer. A weird little connection, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was meant to be. He was just a man of many faces. Yeah, I mean, he was just a, you know, I mean. Working at Sears while also doing Yeah, he was a collector. Else food connoisseur an art connoisseur and an actor right. oh, wow. so he was doing all those things at the same time that's incredible but that's you know he you know he did more serious acting before he got into horror but once he got yeah. into the horror genre he could sort of never get out for a while I guess he was not happy about it but then after a while he just rolled with it and sure. and loved it and thought it was a great thing so because he had so many he was like a renaissance man you know he had so many other interests yeah no kidding I think it doesn't he have a museum in East LA mm -hmm. I think of his uh, artwork yeah yeah yeah, somebody yeah. told us about it. And I just got the Vincent Price Award recently, which oh. was really awesome. And oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> so there's an iconic theater group called The Groundlings. It's been around in Los Angeles since the 70s. It's kind of served as the Harvard of 
comedic actors and theater actors has given us greats like the late Phil Hartman and Will Ferrell and Lisa Kudrow and Paul Rubens and yourself. How did you end up? Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. So many people. How did you end up discovering them and making that part of who you were? I was in LA. I decided to live here and I decided to, you know, I was in show business, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in show business. I really didn't. I'd been a dancer for a long time. Then I kind of segued into singing. And then I decided I wanted to do acting. And I'd been going to some acting classes and, you know, all around L.A. Just trying to act. And I wasn't very good. I couldn't remember my lines ever. <laughs> That's why I can't, as you'll see, I can't remember anything. And then uh, somebody took me to see the Groundlings when they were down. They were down on Pico or some damn place. And they took me to see it, a friend of mine. And I was just freaking mesmer. I just went, this is what I've got to do. I want to do this. This is it. Actually, after that, went on the road with a singing and dancing group called Mama's Boys that I was part of that was kind of, we did comedy. That's why they took me to see it because uh, I had met these couple of guys that wanted to form this group and they go, kind of want to do some comedy like this group does and, and then do some dancing, some singing and make it a little, you know, a whole little show. So I'd seen that. I went off on the road with these guys for like a couple of years. And then when I got back, maybe a year and a half, two years, something, and when they got back to Hollywood, I went straight to the Groundlings. Luckily, at that time, any clown who had the money could get in. <laughs> it really was. It's like, you paid the money, you got in. And you were a Groundling. Now, oh my gosh, I don't know if you know, but they have classes and there's levels and you have to work <laughs> up. And sometimes people like Kathy Griffin, for example, was there for seven years and never made it into oh, the wow. Groundlings. Oh, yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? I mean, it's yeah. really, really, really crazy. tough to get into now. But back then it was like, hey, welcome to Dora Bader. <laughs> so I lucked out. But I was in the group with um, Lorraine Newman was just leaving to do this brand new show called Saturday Night Live that nobody had ever heard of. Wow. And uh, wow. it was like, oh, wow, too. Cool. She got a gig. You know, somebody in the Groundlings got a gig. I was in there with Paul Rubens, who's Pee Wee, and then uh, Phil Hartman and John Paragon, who is Johnny the Genie from the Pee Wee's Playhouse and also became my writing partner for 21 years. Wait, he's also the breather. Yes, the breather. Oh, that's right. Perfect. Joke for your virus. <laughs> what is what it? goes? Ha 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 plop. I don't know, breather. What goes ha 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 plop? A guy laughing his head off. <laughs> wow, you really know this. Way. Now he's scaring me. <laughs> oh my God. The other one the other one I remember from him is what's the last thing that goes through a fly's mind before he hits the windshield of a car? Uh his butt. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so John was there and Lynn Marie Stewart, who played Missy Vaughn and who is mm. a wonderful comedic actress. Fabulous. So anyway, that was the group we were in. And it was just such an amazing time and so many talented people. And just as we were leaving, Julia Sweeney was coming in, who later went to Saturday wow. Night Live and John Lovitz, who later went to Saturday yeah. Night Live. And it was an amazing time and really, really a fun, fun thing to do. And thank God I did it because I didn't have to remember lines. Right. <laughs> And I yeah. still don't. <laughs> it's a great workaround. Yeah. <laughs> was Elvira, did she exist as a character, at least in part, during your time at the Groundlings? Only a small part. I had this uh, character I did that was just like a dippy actress girl from the Valley. That sort of Valley Girl thing had just come out. With, you know, Frank Zappa and right, Moon yeah. Zappa had just done that song, Valley Girl. So my character was based on like a Valley Girl. And I was going out to interviews and everything. 
and you know showed up there with another girl one of the groundlings and we were wearing exactly the same dress and we both turned to each other at the same time and go I like your dress and, and then it just gets kind of catty and bitchy between us but so I did this this valley girl character and when I heard about the audition for Elvira the director you know local TV show director he had formerly done Sinister Seymour who was the uh, horror host before me and he came to the Groundlings to see me and he really loved that character that Valley Girl character so when I came to audition he said oh do the Valley Girl character I go I thought I was supposed to be like a spooky horror host <laughs> he goes yeah yeah just do that character though anyway I'm like oh Okay, and I did the character, and they ended up hiring me. And then I had to come up with the whole Elvira drag. And a friend of mine in my group, Mama's Voice, who was an artist, came up with the likeness, you know, what I should look for, and we put that together. So just little things <laughs> falling together. Where did you come up with the name Elvira? Oh, that was literally drawn out of a can. I was supposed to be Vampira. They had uh, decided oh. they hired me to be the new Vampira, oh, like, like a Vampira's James Bond daughter situation. or something. You know, yeah, the new version of Vampira. And I was like, okay, who's that? I honestly at that time didn't know who Vampira was. I hadn't even discovered the Ed Wood movies or anything, so I hadn't heard of her. And she had been at that station in 1953 when I was two years old and I lived in Kansas, so I would not have seen that show. <laughs> and it was a very short-lived show. I guess it, she was only on air at KHJ for about two or three months. So anyway, I was supposed to be Vampira, and that's what they were going to call me. And then we are there that day filming the opening of the show. Somebody comes running in, the stage manager, and says, stop, stop, stop. We can't we can't call it Vampira. We can't... The, the, there's a lawyer on the phone and he says it's Vampire and she's going to sue if you use the name. Wow. So I was like, well, okay, whatever. And everybody in the studio, including the lighting guy, the, you know, the sound guy, wrote what they thought the characters should be called. Wow. And we put them in a can and I pulled out that name. Wow. And I was like, that sounds like a country western singer. <laughs> ridiculous. And, uh, but I thought, yeah, this job might not even last for, this might be the one and only show we do. So Whatever. <laughs> Do you remember any of the other names that were in the bucket? Only one I remember is mine, which I picked. Cassandra. Oh <laughs> that was so creative. <laughs> and I mean, just think works. of my name would be Cassandra. Yeah, and I'd be it a works. character named Cassandra and my real self. Right, right, right. That would be so confusing for yeah, me, oh, especially. The dark. <laughs> yeah. But I thought it sounded kind of witchy, you know, yeah. it was kind of spooky. Yep. So <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I have brilliant ideas. <laughs> what was the creative process like when you were doing your show? and movie macabre as far as would you lock yourself in a room with John and would the two of you screen a movie from beginning to end and write what that you were going to say? exactly what we would do. Oh, but, wow. um, first the director was writing it and then he really didn't have enough time and I brought John in. We got John as the breather and then he came in and, and of course John was hilarious. So John and I started getting the movie every week and we would go in there on a, like a Monday and we sat in a room that was literally one third of this room. Wow. Oh, wow. There were only room for two chairs. There was a projectionist behind us. No way. Uh, wow. Yeah, with an actual projector with a little hole flickering in there. <laughs> You know, and he was in there. We go, hey, turn on the movie, and it was shown on a little screen about the size of that painting over uh, yeah, there. Yeah, he'd play the movie, and we'd yell at him, stop, stop, and he'd stop it, and we'd write stuff. We'd wow. come up with a joke, and we'd just sit there and watch the movie, and then we'd get done with the end, and then we'd talk about it. We just riff on it, kind of, and write down our notes. 
and then we go back and we watch it again, and then we go back and we watch it again. I mean, these are and these are like hour and a half, two hour movies, and we, <laughs> right. oh my god, it would be the whole day. But we'd oh, write everything wow. funny we could think of, <laughs> right? And then John would take it home and and write it out in a script. So that's what we did every Monday. He'd have the week, and we'd shoot at the end of the week, and uh, that's how it went every week. It was, ah, it was fun though. We had a great time doing. It. I mean, some, some movies were more fun than others. I can tell you, some were like right, torture right. Watching, yeah. you know, <laughs> over more than. Yeah, the well goes pretty deep with the movie Macabre. Oh, yeah, yeah, we really deep. Was yeah, there the one that stood out as being like super hard to do? Yeah, yeah. And that's the funniest thing. It's one of the movies people like the best. It's Attack of the, the Killer, Killer Tomatoes. Tomatoes. Oh, sure. And it was absolutely impossible to come up with jokes because they were already in the movie. Right. <laughs> Every joke point. about ketchup and tomato yeah. sauce and tomato. You know, there just wasn't a thing we could come up with. So we had to kind of depart from the whole tomato sauce ketchup thing and go in a different way and it didn't tie in as well to the movie you know it was just kind of a disaster right. yeah. strangely yeah, people love that movie but Is it it'd be like trying the... to make fun of Shaun of the Dead you could not do that because it's not right. a really fun yeah. movie when the movie's self-aware right then you can't yeah. make fun of it exactly <laughs> too serious it's only when so... it's completely naive and they don't right. know that they're bad and horrible that you yeah. can really make fun of it and those you know? are the best well, it was that, but yeah, that's true. So that one just did not work for yeah. me. It was just like pulling teeth to get a script together. What do you think about if they were to do a Shaun of the Dead 2? Like, do you think that would work? Cause I do. You'd definitely be a running character. Yeah. I mean, you might have to go in a little different way with the zombie thing, because that's kind of been beaten to death right now. It could be ghosts. Could be. Yeah. You know, Shaun yeah, of the Undead. <laughs> <laughs> or vampires. <laughs> Yeah, but God, he was through. such a great character. And there were so many funny. I, I just love that movie Me so much. Too. Yeah, it's Lauren's like absolute favorite I thing. Want yeah. More. Yeah, she <laughs> wants. She wants to own everything from the movie that's left. Yeah. I, can't, I can't remember what season it was. A movie macabre where um, he screened the Mad Magician. Yeah, I probably don't remember either. But yeah, that was uh, 3D yes. film, and yes. we did the whole thing in 3D, and it was the yes. first televised 3D movie ever. I mean, television mm. show ever, yeah. and the wow. technology was not quite up to snuff. I don't think. <laughs> I think the 3D effect was kind of going in and out but wow that was a that was an amazing experience they we started filming like a, around I don't know 2 o'clock in the afternoon or something on like a Thursday and we finished around 2 o'clock on a Friday and that was without stopping we had like ate and drank water while we were taping we didn't take breaks nothing because they had the crew in there and it was this huge crew with this giant 3D camera that kept breaking down and we kept kept having to shoot everything over and over and over again and it was oh my god it was the most intense thing I literally shooting for a 24 hour period without really taking a break Ooh, I almost thought I would die you know, I, was just, uh, I didn't know if I would make it and then they sold glasses 3D glasses yes. at, at 7-Eleven yes. which they sold for like three bucks a pair and they sold now I always forget numbers but say like 2.3 million yeah. pair in Los Angeles yes. alone because that's the only place where it aired Los Angeles yes wow. and I, I got $300 we're doing the show. <laughs> it didn't matter how long it lasted. I just was paid $350 per show, whether it takes 24 hours to shoot or not. Oh, jeez. Wow. And no, I got no money out of the glasses. Somebody did. Oh, Somebody, think about $3 at $2.3 million. Hmm. <laughs> and I got $350. Oh, well. Yes. Yeah, so. But I got to tell you, though, I, I bring it up because... That was an event. Every it every one of every one of my event. friends were going crazy. School at out two thirty. 
We rushed 7-Eleven, sold out. So we're, so we're scrounging for like bus money. You know, we're, we're in Silver Lake, so now we got to go to Los Feliz. So we go to Los Feliz, sold out. We got yeah. to go to Glendale. Go to Glendale, sold out. We, we, we yeah, did you, did you hear that a guy uh, was robbed at gunpoint and they all he took was his glasses? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Outside of a 7-Eleven, he was held up and they stole his 3D glasses. Oh, man. Yeah. I went down to get him because the station didn't give me any. No. So I was having a party the night it came on. I was having all my friends come over to watch it. And I went down to 7-Eleven, stood in this hour-long line that you won't believe. I had curlers in my hair. Okay, That's what you did back then. You like put curlers in your hair. And, you're, and I'm standing in line, waiting, waiting. And this news van pulls up and out jumps this woman with a microphone and runs up to me. Miss, miss, why are you standing in line here? And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I think I just turned around and ran. <laughs> but came straight to me and just asked me why. I mean, had no idea I was Elvira. And I did not want to tell them. <laughs> curlers in my hair it really wasn't. Yeah, it had, it had some fun gags, though. I remember the popcorn. Yeah, well, everything was like, you know, coming at you. you know, right. <laughs> mostly my boobs. Yeah. <laughs> but everything was like uh, a paddle, yeah, you know. Yeah. With the, and the so popcorn throwing. I mean, the whole thing was about throwing stuff at right. the screen, you right. know. Yeah. A lot of people said the 3D thing didn't come across that well when it was televised but oh well I, I people liked it, it. I did thought you? It did. Yeah. I think it was hit or miss where, depending on where you were there was actually a PSA I can't remember who starred in it some comedian or somebody who was uh, describing this is what you gotta do turn your TV hue you know oh wow yeah a little instructional thing yeah oh god <laughs> wow that was really sounds like the old wow. days doesn't it <laughs> yeah <God. laughs> let's talk about some of the many cool things and opportunities that rose out of the shadow of this character so in 82 up to 2000 17, there's some breaks in between, but you started doing that variety show at Knott's Berry Farm. The first theme park, I think, in the world that started doing haunted attractions in the theme park. How did that come up as something that you thought, this is going to be a good fit for me? They called me. Seymour had been doing it. Sinister Seymour, who was the prior horror host to me. All right. Frightening. Yeah, yeah, he had been doing Knott's for several years. And then they had Wolfman Jack. Oh, wow. wow. And Seymour uh, passed away. And then Wolfman Jack... I think they canned him because he liked to mm, drink a little bit. <laughs> and I had a hard time, I guess, standing up maybe through the whole show. I don't know. I think that's what happened, but don't quote me. But anyway, he wasn't there anymore. And um, so they just called out of the blue to see if I could do a show. And they didn't know that I sang or danced, which you know, I didn't do it that great, but still made it a little more of a variety show because sure. Seymour and Wolfman Jack, apparently, I never saw tapes of their show. I don't think they were are in existence but they sort of just hosted it yeah I can't imagine them doing you know soft shoe or whatever (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I want to (laughs) Uh, yeah so I became integrated into the show a little more dancing and singing and doing numbers we did ghouls just want to have fun that first year I remember that like song parodies and the same stuff I do now except much much more schlocky right right were you a part of the creative process in that too yeah from the very beginning I was very much a part of it and still am when I do the shows out there when I, you know, we all get together in the beginning, come up with everything. Everybody throws in their two cents worth. But yeah, overall, it's it's kind of my baby. That's amazing. And for anyone who doesn't know, Cassandra has the world record of being the youngest Vegas showgirl oh, ever. I do. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there was all this experience, this song and dance and, and mixing it up with Elvira. And there you go. Legends I, are created. I don't think that'll ever change because that record times. will never be broken. Yeah. I mean, it's impossible now, Probably right? Not because yeah. I don't think they let yeah. you yeah. do yeah. that. Yeah. With your 
Yeah. I don't think that's going to happen anymore anytime but, soon. But you know what? I, I hear, though, that we have Elvis to thank for you well, uh, sort of. leaving Vegas. Yeah, we, we really do. And that's strange. I, yeah, I, I was lucky enough to meet Elvis, who is... I was always madly in love with Elvis from the time I was like two years old. I think when I was five, I got the record, You Ain't Nothing But a Hound Dog. My mm. parents gave it to me for my birthday with a little record player. And uh, I have a really crazy video, or not video, an eight millimeter film of me dancing to it really <laughs> out of my mind to like five years old going crazy. And my parents were huge Elvis fans uh, their whole lives. So when Elvis came to Vegas, I got to go see him. He came and saw my show, he and his entourage also. And uh, my roommate at the time was another show girl who was dating Joe Esposito, Elvis's road manager. And so she got to go to a party afterwards that Elvis was having. And I begged, pleaded, cried and, you know, bribed her everything. Please, 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 please take me. And she did. And I ended up there. And, and I got to say, there were there were a lot of women and men and everybody. There were a lot of people. And Elvis was sort of glommed onto me, I think, because I was 17. <laughs> I mean, and everybody else was probably in their 30s, you know, I would say. And, uh, started talking and talking and talking and talking. We talked all night. We talked all the next day. Everybody said, did, you know, did anything happen? But I'm underage, you know? <laughs> so nothing that heavy did happen. There was some kissing and stuff like that. But mostly we were talking. We were talking about everything in his life, my life. He was talking about how I shouldn't smoke marijuana. And I mean, I was, he was being very like fatherly advice. You That's know? really wow. amazing. It was really sweet. And, and then he said to me, you have got to get out of here. This is no place for a young girl. I don't know why you're here. It's really not good for you to be here. And I'm like, Oh, but this is my, my dream, you know? And I had actually come to Vegas because I'd seen the movie Viva Las Vegas with Elvis and Ann Margaret. There was Vegas, there were showgirls. It was like, that's what I want to do, you know? I'd gotten this idea in my head when I was like 14. So it was my dream come true. And the fact that he was saying I should get out of there was like, what? what? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we sang together on the piano. He was playing the piano and <sighs> singing. And I started singing like a little harmony with him. And he goes, you have a pretty good voice. You had to, you had to take some voice lessons and maybe you could you'd get a gig singing in a band or something. Why don't you do that? And I was like, really? Okay, well, you're Elvis. You're telling, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, coming from anybody else, I might not have believed right. them, but I went out the next day and got singing lessons and by God, that was what I was going to do and I ended up eventually getting in a band in Italy. Don't ask me how that happened, but started singing in my show that I was in in Las Vegas first and got a bump in my pay and then when the show ended, I went to Europe to do the Lido de Prairie, another big, we call them, well, can I say tits and feathers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I think they're still called that. Yeah, and uh, I went to do that, and that did did not work out. And uh, I left and got in this Italian rock band. I don't know, what the heck. All of that came around. I went a lot of other places and did a lot of other shows and ended up in L.A. deciding yeah. to do acting. But really, I always say, if it hadn't been for Elvis, I would now be the oldest showgirl in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so I would hold two records. <laughs> yeah, I swear to God, I would have been. Because I thought, you know, I thought I'd really hit the big time. Wow, what yeah. an incredible story. That's so cool. What is Elvi or what is Cassandra's history with the radio station K-Rock here in L.A.? A couple of us are actually associated with that yeah. station. Leo, yes. Lauren, myself, and Tim has obviously done a lot of work with K-Rock. Oh, my God. Um, what was your entryway into that station? And were, were you the Elvira persona on K-Rock when you did a show? And how long did it last? I was. We decided, well, what did we, first, well, sometimes we called me Cassandra on the rock, and sometimes it was Elvira on the rock. I, I went in, obviously, as 
myself, but I was always paired up with Freddie Snakeskin. Yeah, oh, yeah. who's still there? He's still he's at the Yeah, yeah, he's still Freddie. in the building. We, we had. Is he really? Yeah, he's still in the building. He's doing the Rock of the Eighties as an, an Eighties HD You're stream kidding. that he's taking care of. Yeah, so I, we see him all I the time. He left for a while and went to Arizona or New Mexico or somewhere like that. He left that. for a, yes. a little bit, but he's back. Yeah, he's oh back now. Oh my god! Yeah, I just loved Freddie. We had the best time, and he he was the guy who was really putting you know doing the actual putting the records on doing mm, all. Right. I was just sitting there and talking. Yeah, and we were joking back and forth, and I did get to I went to clubs all the time. I mean, I spent my entire life on the Sunset Strip going to the <laughs> Whiskey and the Roxy. And, uh, Did you know Rodney? Oh, God, yeah, yeah, really well, because Rodney's show was on right after mine. Oh, okay. I was on like 11, and I think Rodney came right after that. And I very often just stayed there and hung out with Rodney, and you know, he would be playing everybody that was new, and, and I'd hear who he was playing, and then I would go straight out and see them, you know. I was so in that world my whole life. I just love freaking music and rock bands, and I'd been chasing bands around from the time I was like 14. But I loved the music. It wasn't just about the guys. <laughs> the music. And so being around Freddie and Rodney and then, and then uh, oh my gosh, who else? J- Jed Fish. Oh yeah, Jed Fish. And just hearing, you know, all their people who they were listening to and who they were finding who were new and who were at the clubs. And it was so fantastic at that time, you know. The music had been so crappy. And my to me, the 60s music was really great. Then I just completely skipped over the 70s and pretend <laughs> like they weren't there. There were a couple things in the 70s that were good but by the 80s all the new wave music started right. coming in you know and all, all of a sudden it was Blondie and the Pretenders and then the Go-Go's and then and it was women singing too it was like oh, what you know <laughs> and it was just like this giant awakening you know and K-Rock was the freaking station in Certainly in LA, maybe the country, you know. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, the country. So yeah. World famous. Cutting edge. <laughs> That's right, world famous. Yeah, in the world. <laughs> but it was a really, really super fun time, and all those people there were so awesome, and it was a crazy time, man. Do that you have crazy. any of your air checks? Oh, God, I don't think so. I That'd don't think awesome. I have any. Uh, yeah, no, I think there's one that I've been able to find over the years online, just one. And it was during the premiere, I think, of a song of yours, an Elvira song, 3D TV, I believe. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. I think yeah. John Paragon. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it was singing backup. It was so funny. We recorded it in my bathroom, standing in the bathtub. And I was singing, and the two backup singers are John Paragon and Paul Rubens. No <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they were the Vitones. We, we had a group. We were going to call it Elvira and the Vitones. And it was Paul and John. So, wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is so awesome. Yeah, not very many people know that. Wow. The Elvira Mistress of the Dark movie. 1988. NBC's yeah. only feature-length film, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. First and last. <laughs> <laughs> but what an incredible movie. Well, it, it wasn't incredible at the time. I thought it was incredible, but then it, it just came out and it really kind of bombed. It really didn't get any, uh, you know, the reviews were bad. Well, what happened is when it was released, and this always sounds like sour grapes, but the day it was released, the distribution company that released the New World went bankrupt. And it was immediately pulled from all the theaters before it even uh, aired. And it was going to air in something like 10,000. I can't remember. I'm just pulling a number out of my ass. But it was like thousands of theaters and ended up being released in like a couple hundred theaters. Oh, wow. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. And only played for like a a few days because since New World wasn't there anymore, theaters didn't want it. They couldn't get any more movies from them. So they were just out of the rotation. You know, New World Corman. Was that Corman's company? No. Okay. Yeah. That was funny. I was just talking to somebody about Roger Corman tonight. Yeah. No, it was not. It was, New World was, uh, I don't know, there's just some... One of those 80s companies that came in. Yeah, yeah. Tubes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> and so that was a real, real bummer, really disappointing because uh, NBC had really played it up and we had a huge opening at Groman's Chinese Theater and then a big party across the street at the Hollywood uh, Roosevelt. And then we had another gigantic party in New York City at Tavern on the Green and in Central Park and oh my god it was like this is going to be such a gigantic <laughs> hit and then just you know, tank but then it went on to become a giant giant uh, really great selling movie on video yeah that yeah. was like yeah. the heyday of home video right and it was then. one of the highest selling videos uh, of the time and it that's when videos sold for like 65 bucks <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. that I've heard I saw in the Hollywood Reporter that it was one of the top selling videos of all time wow, wow. Six, in the 60 top selling. Unfortunately, I didn't get to make another movie because of that. Because as soon as somebody sees the box office numbers no. and they are good, they don't even want to take a meeting with you. We had in mind, uh, Brendan Tartikoff, the president of the company, had in mind to make a series of movies, you know, Elvira movies. This was going to be the first one. It was going to be like Ernest Goes to Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that awesome. It was going to be like yeah. Elvira Goes to Hell, Elvira yeah. Goes to Prison, whatever. <laughs> yeah, like a franchise. That was the point of that movie, but never got past the first uh, one. Well, you did Elvira's Hundred Hills. I did Which with my a, own money. That was great. And with my, I just hired all the people. My ex-husband and myself put that together. John started to help me write the movie, but then went off to do a project with Pee Wee and oh. kind of left me in the lurch. So I had to finish the movie on my own, and we went. To, we shot it in Romania so we could afford it, but we used our own money. Don't ever do that. Ever ever Yeah. I made the money back eventually, but it was a real uphill battle and took many years, you know, to do that. Back to the first film, I remember watching it, and to me, as a Elvira fan, I think it really had a strong impact on the character of Elvira, and maybe for you as well, having the chance to really expand that character over the length of a feature film, exploring the character's warmth, her friendliness, her quirkiness, even more than you'd ever done before. What impact did that exercise have on your approach to Elvira the character? Ah, that's interesting, because it did make a big difference just having a background where did she come from who were her parents how did she deal with people because up till then I'm just talking directly to you the audience member and talking about a movie so it was really a great exploration into who is this character really and I with along with John Paragon and Sam Egan another writer just stayed in the room for a couple months morning till night and came up with all the ideas and we were just flushing that out as we went along you know uh, who is she what would she do in this case blah 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 my take on it was kind of like a, a little bit Wizard of Oz you know I, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of was thinking of it as she's Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz and going through this and leaving Kansas and going, which sounds ridiculous, but, <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about it, you see that it does have a little bit of that. Yeah, yeah totally. Has her dog, right? Exactly, Toto. Exactly. too. But yeah, it, and it did change the character after that. It did have more depth and more shades, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it changed it for you, playing the character, moving going yeah. forward from there. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Then I had a point of view where it came from, but you know, I never really thought about it up until then. But then after the movie. Uh, oh, I think this is the first time I have it. <laughs> well, there's, you guys. there's definitely pillars of the Elvira brand. There's situations Elvira would approach in a certain way. You know, there's different yeah. extremes of the characters. There's lines that she wouldn't cross. You know, there's yes. things that she would say and wouldn't say. One of the things in the movie that I absolutely insisted on was no freaking guy is going to come along and save me. And we kind of went there in the beginning because I had this big, hunky, you know, dumb guy. <laughs> right. and like, um, who was who I, a 
adored that guy that played Bob, my boyfriend. Yeah. But the guys, John and, and Sam, were like, well, then he can save her from the, you know, getting it. And I was like, oh, no. That, <laughs> that was the one rule I really, really set down right at the beginning. It's like, she gets herself into trouble, but somehow she gets herself out. No knight in shining armor is coming to her, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you need to yeah. be running for Disney. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I read somewhere that uh, Brad Pitt auditioned for Bob, was it? Oh, yes. No, oh, not, not Bob. For one of the teenage oh, boys. The teenage no boys. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so funny. I, I have the paper at home, the casting notes. I, all kinds of famous people that went on to be leads in television right. shows. You cannot believe how many auditioned for various parts in the movie, all of which we didn't pick. But then this teenage boy came in and he was so freaking hot. You know, <laughs> I go, there is no way this guy can be in this movie and Elvira won't be jumping on him. He, he can't be around. He's like 10 times better looking than their boyfriend. That's not going to happen. And that wouldn't be good because he's playing like a 16 year old. You know? Right, right. So I didn't hire him. But in my notes and I have them, I, I really have to print them. I have to make I, my notes on there. We wrote like for every actor you know, acting skills not great or too old or you know whatever. But <laughs> too for, hot for Bob. Hot. No, I wrote yum yum. <laughs> I look back at my notes and go, oh nice. Yeah, yum yum. Okay, super Wait, professional. Did you sell Brad Pitt a haunted house? Is that what you? I did. I heard that. I heard that. Is it? That's true. <laughs> and that is my house where I had all this fabulous wallpaper, like you guys. Oh yeah, have. we're talking about Bradbury and yeah, Bradbury Victorian yeah. wallpaper. Yeah, I had this old 1901 Craftsman up in the Hollywood Hills. It was a fabulous house. I mean, amazing. My ex-husband and I kind of saved it from destruction because uh, it was an old falling down mess. And we bought it for way too much money and then started fixing it up for five years. And um, all the time we were there, crazy crap was happening. Ooh, tell me, Ooh. tell me. <laughs> well, you'll have to go on uh, and Google uh, whatever, so what was it, celebrity some, something, ghost, uh, no, what was that, the celebrity ghost stories or something like that? It was some TV show that was on. I was going through the whole ghost story and oh, they reenacted wow. it with other oh, people. Oh, that's cool. It's so funny. Oh my God, it was so cheesy. But really, really funny thing. I mean, the day we moved in, there were three stories and I told all the movers do not put anything up on the third story. Don't take anything up there at all. So I'm on the second story putting stuff away and I hear clump, 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 clump right above my head on the ceiling going, oh my God, I cannot believe they they went up there to take stuff. And I go running up, you guys, you guys. Uh, room's completely empty. It's one giant room with windows 360 all the way around it. There's no place to hide up there. There's no place. There's one giant room and nobody was up there. And you could see the ceiling shake. You could see that when wow. the steps were going. So that was the first thing. And then it just kept going on and on from there. And I always tell people, I never had like a haunted experience anywhere I've ever lived in my life before that. I have never had one after that. I had a priest come in. I had an Indian shaman come in after a while. Because I, I said... Either something has to be done about this, or I I gotta get out of here. I can't live like this. Wow! So is that, that did that make you make you a believer in the oh one hundred percent? Yeah. Oh my God, one hundred percent. I found out later seven people had died 
violent deaths in the house. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. And well, we found that or over a long period of time. Over a long, long period of time. And the last one was uh, told to me by Mark Hamill, who mm-hmm. used to live in the house uh-huh. when he, it was a, it was a house <laughs> for like a, a dorm house for USC oh. Oh. at one time. And he lived there and uh, his roommate, one of his roommates uh, hung himself in the closet. Oh. And I, oh, wow. I was, oh my God, I know. I said, do you remember where? And he goes, yeah, I remember exactly where. And I go, could you show me? And of course it's in my bedroom closet. Oh. And there's seven, there's seven uh, bedrooms. It could have been any one of the seven oh. closets in the seven bedrooms, but no. Wow. My bedroom. wow. So, yeah, Mark Hamill was the last one to tell me about that. But the other ones, we have articles. Uh, there was Zigfield Follies. It had the first swimming pool in Hollywood built in 1921. And all wow. these Hollywood celebrities at the time came and they covered the top of the pool with uh, roses. It was an Olympic-sized pool shaped like a heart. <laughs> so crazy. Wow. And they covered it with uh, flowers of some kind of roses. I don't know what. They had some of the Zigfield Folly girls there. I have the article about it. And the next day when they took all the flowers off the pool, she was laying at the bottom. Oh, oh wow. no, Nobody had seen her fall through somehow because it was covered in flowers. So oh. the weirdest thing in that pool, there was always a, and I, this is before I knew this story, a black shadow in the bottom of the pool. Oh, man. And oh, my people God. We go, well, it's caused by the tree. Or, oh, it's not. No, it's not. Ca-. And the shadow would move and it would be at different parts. And uh, I would just stayed out of the damn wow. pool. <laughs> so five years? You were there five years? Yeah. And then you yeah. said, fuck and this. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brad, Brad Pitt. <laughs> And I told Brad, and he's one of the few people to which, you know, that was a plus for him. He thought, this is awesome. <laughs> so he, he loved it. Oh, my gosh. If yeah. you had known wow. that beforehand, all that stuff, would you have still bought the house? I don't know. I probably would have. I was so in love with it. Okay. I found the house because I chased a chicken down the road. <laughs> I saw a chicken. I was out walking. I had two Rottweilers, and I was out walking them. A chicken started running down the road, and I was like, Oh my God, this chicken, where's it coming from? And so me and the dogs chased the chicken and it went through some like brambles and briars, like Cinderella's castle, Sleeping Beauty's castle. And I crawled under some bushes and there was this giant, giant house on two acres in the Hollywood Hills. Wow. I mean, just this falling down poor dump. Oh and yeah, that's maybe the ghost. Following a chicken. Maybe there was no chicken. May, oh, you're the, right. Maybe there chicken wasn't really was leading chicken. you. Yeah. Oh, there were chickens. I moved in and that, <laughs> that chicken. There were sixty of them, and it was a nightmare. Oh, and every day, if I didn't find the eggs, there were more chickens. <laughs> and every single morning, I got up was like this totally frantic Easter egg hunt to find these damn chickens. Oh my wow. Yeah. No, it was crazy, man. It was like I had. Chi- I had they came with sixty chickens. 10 ducks, two turkeys, and there were two horses there, but they oh. took the horses. Yeah, and then eventually I had to get rid of them all because the neighbors were complaining. They're flying over the fence and pooping around the pools and stuff. Oh, my wow. God. Good. Wow. Got out of control really fast. Yeah. Oh, my God. And the one thing that was really horrible, I had eggs, like so many eggs, you wouldn't believe how many eggs I had. So I was giving them away to everybody that would take eggs, you know. And I, I had, then I had like two Rottweilers and a German Shepherd and a Pit Bull and that rescued dogs that I had. And they'd run all over the property. And I said to my husband at the time, this is so great that there's never any dog poop to pick up. It's so fantastic, you know, because we used to have to like, you know, scoop like yeah. a ton of yeah. it a day. Yeah. And the, the gardener, our gardener lady was standing there. It was a 
man and wife and she goes oh Mrs. Cassandra the chickens eat the poop oh, <laughs> oh I didn't want to eat oh, the eggs it's anymore poop after eggs. that <laughs> I know. <laughs> Do you call Can you that? Uh, Who knew? Relationship there. Yeah. <laughs> Never ate another egg. <laughs> Not from there, anyway. So and that's a nice story to tell. I don't know. I love it. That out there. I don't know. In a very different direction. <laughs> uh, sorry. I want to talk about one of my favorite things to talk about, which I'm sure the rest of you know is props. Um, props. <laughs> so your costume is amazing. How Thank many you. have you? kept like do you have all of them the wigs the dresses the dagger i know recently it was a dress and a dagger set went for ten thousand at the prop store yeah treasures auction yeah last year yeah last year I know, and i have my doubts about that one. Oh, oh like yeah. authenticity was well the dagger i know wasn't authentic because i had the only dagger that was authentic only wow. one and it got stolen out of my luggage really? oh, yeah. No. yeah unless that's the one that showed up yeah oh who knows huh that just dawned Jeez. on me. Yeah, maybe. And then I had another one made, but it was a very expensive prop dagger, so I had a new one made. But so there's only two daggers. Wow. I wow. But then, then I had dresses made over the years. Um, I have honestly, I, I lost track of all, where they all went. Some went to wax museums here right. and there out in Buena Park. I think it was the Movie Land wax Movie museum. Land. Oh, cool. yeah. yeah. Right. And then they kind of took off with my dress. That might have been the original. I don't know where I have the original. I I have a whole crap load of those dresses in my storage. <laughs> thing and I don't really know what is what anymore but yeah I have a whole bunch of them and the wigs I believe it or not when I'm done with them mostly I throw them away they're no, so trashed give them yeah hand them yeah. over here we'll no. take them <laughs> all the dry the will store it all yeah. 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 we'll find a perfect like place for it wigs. I wear them to death until they're just they, they look like just blah wow. and they're so sprayed with hairspray that they start getting coated like gray and really hard they're just not good anymore so it's kind of like you're out of here what about that, the macabre mobile? The car <gasps> is around. That's the one and only that came from my movie. Yeah. And we, you know, I always, on my TV show, I always talked about, well, time to jump in the old macabre mobile. I'm out of here. And then we decided to put that in the movie. And we go, God, we have to come up with what the macabre mobile looks <laughs> like, you know? And we were there talking about hearses and black Cadillacs and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, I was walking down Melrose Avenue one day and I saw a 59 black convertible T-Bird. And I go, that is it. That is what Elvira would drive. And so we told the prop people on Mistress of the Dark to go out and look for one. They did. And they said, we cannot afford one. There's no way. So they found a hard top. I begged and begged and pleaded and pleaded. And they finally, they found a hard top. They sawed off the top and they painted it black. It did not work at all. Every time you see that car, once in a while, it rolled like forward for a couple <laughs> blocks. <laughs> but mostly it's being towed or it's being oh, really? pushed or it's being just on a tow truck. Yeah, a like truck, yeah. Yeah, so it didn't work. It had a top, but they sawed it all the pieces and made it look good, and we used that, and then when the movie was over, they asked if I wanted it, and I was like, oh yeah, I really want this big piece of junk <laughs> that doesn't drive, and that's a like total piece of crap, and take up space where I don't even have a garage, and so I said no, and this very famous rock photographer, Lynn Goldsmith, mm -hmm. bought it at a prop auction, and she drove it 
for about eight years around LA as her own car. She had it fixed up and it was a mess when I got it. It doesn't have a top at all and she parked it outside and oh, in the rain no. or yeah. shine. So it was a huge, huge mess. So we took it to George Barris, you know, who oh, did yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Munster mm-hmm. Coach and all of those. Batmobile, and, yeah, everything, yeah. yeah. And he fixed it all, all oh, up. And we got somebody nice. to do all the metal work, all the chrome work. Uh, an artist, friend of ours, made all the little skulls around. Yeah, the just, yeah. Uh, spider web grill and all that. That's so. awesome. Yeah, so then it got into shape and then uh, I've had it ever since, yeah. That's amazing. Wow. So do you drive it around still? or do you? I, I have for a long time. Right now it happens to be on Hollywood and Highland in a store called Sweet, where I have a little a little boutique. Yeah, boutique. yeah. that's right. So it's on display yeah. there with my couch. The original and, couch? Yeah, and a couple oh, of my dresses. Wow. And that's the amazing. Original couch. The original couch, I had to have upholstered, reupholstered, but it's the same frame. And I think it was the same couch from the Empire uh, set. Wow, so this is literally the couch that you started doing Movie Macabre on. I believe it. Wow. I think it's been around a lot longer than that. Now, when you go and do knots and stuff like that, would you bring that exact couch with you, or would you just get A lot of times I did. If it wasn't on display somewhere, I did, and sometimes they'd just have to get get a look like if it was somewhere I couldn't get it out, you know? Wow. But yeah, it's been a lot. The car was in the Peterson Museum for a while, and then it was in the Hollywood... Museum, the Hollywood Museum is the name of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. by Mel's Diner or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it was there for a while. I, I try to just put it on display at places, you know, but so now it's in suite. That's so yeah, awesome. Yeah. So what else is coming? I know you got the comic book series with Dynamite. They're at issue four right now. And you can actually go and just download it digitally as well as buy it over at Dynamite.com. And it's spectacular. Yeah, I, lo- I love the writer, Dave Avalone. He's and the doing art such is a great amazing, job. And, uh, yeah, they get different artists all the time. Some, I think, are more amazing than others, but there's been some really great stuff that I'm, so I'm really happy about. Having a comic book again. I did uh, a Marvel comic book and a DC comic book, and then I did Claypool comics for hundreds of issues. issues yeah. So I'm glad to finally have another comic book because I, w- I was really afraid, where do you go after that? Right. <laughs> so, so. Was there anything that made you want to go back to try and get another comic series? I always had been trying to do it. Yeah, just because, you know, I grew up with comic books and like I said, especially Superman, believe it or not, that was my favorite character when oh. I was a kid and, and I was good friends with Stan Lee and I talked to him all the time about, you know, oh, if I could develop Elvira more into like, not superhero, but kind of, you know, get her more in the comic books, maybe other things Things could take off from there. Yeah. Stan was kind of like, nah, comic books are dead. Forget it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nothing happening with comic yeah, books. Nothing yeah. Nothing <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, but I just love comic books, you know, growing up as a kid. So having a comic book is really awesome for me. Yeah. They're fun to read, too. The new issues are really yeah, fun. You're are. facing off I, against I Edgar Allan Poe and yeah. all these, you know, it's great. <laughs> I get to go through them all and make suggestions or change things if I want to. So it's fun. You know, I get to have my hand in it a little bit. I mean, they do 99% of the work, believe me. But it's nice that I can go in there and if I don't like something, change it. And if I do like something, do more of it. Reading the comic books always has got me excited about an Elvira animated show or series or movie. Wow, is that something funny, that... You say that. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, no, I have one that I've been working on for about a year. And... Uh, taking that out there and kind of uh, pitching it around right now. But I actually have a project that I want to do before I do that that I think would be more important to do. First, if that went well, it would be a lot easier to do the animated thing because animation is a fortune and it takes years. Sure, yeah, it takes a long time. um, I would love to do another live action movie. So that would be amazing. So I'm out out right now trying to sell that. Wow. Just crossing my fingers. Yeah. I don't see 
it as being a very hard sell. Oh. I think everybody would love oh. to see that. That's well, amazing. Well, uh, yeah, tell them. Tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. No. If I have to do it myself, I will. <laughs> but I won't use my own money. Right. 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 Yes. Exactly. No. Oh, you right. yours. <laughs> we'll give it to you. Yeah. Okay. Did, right? With a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter? I swear to God, right? if I had to, I mean, that'd be my last choice because that's yeah. pretty work intensive too. Sure. It that. is. Yeah, that is a um, job. But man, if I had to, I would. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, Zach uh, Braff did his own funded his own film that way and yeah there's yeah. A, less of a stigma on it now yeah. I think you know people are doing more legitimate projects with it it is kind of work intensive to do that whole thing that's like a project in it itself. is yeah I've done yeah. a couple of them there have you yeah, yeah. yeah it's a, and you gotta it's, send it's people job. stuff and you gotta give yep. it a yeah. yeah so it, still it would be my last choice but it, if that's the way it goes that's, yeah. well, that's what I'll do yeah <laughs> send some of those burnt out wigs around to people yeah. <laughs> And I can't believe I missed out on the pinball that you had in boxes. Oh, yeah. I just sold my two pinball machines. Yeah. New in the box. Party Monsters and Scared Stiff. Just sold them a couple months ago. Oh, yeah. Two of the like the most highest rated pinball machines of all time. The most popular pinball machines of all time. Elvira is one of, I mean, a very rare group of people who've ever had pinball machines made out of them. Yeah, I have this new one coming out around October and I'm really excited about it. It's going to be awesome. We've already done the voice and, oh, and there's all the art. It, it was going to be out a lot sooner but then another really awesome pinball machine idea came up that they're doing. Cool. The Beatles! Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> the fact that I was bumped for the Beatles. Right, right, right. <laughs> I'm such a Beatles freak. <laughs> so, there is like a real resurgence wow. in pinball. There's some yeah, more companies making the tables. For a while there I thought that was it that's at the what, end. Yeah. And I love pinball. I just happened to be a pinball freak when I was a kid. I love playing pinball. So, so fun. for me, that's another one of those things like, why do you want to do a comic book? Because I love comic books. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because I love to play pinball. <laughs> and the technology is insane yeah. in new oh, pinball yeah, machines. Now, so. now it's ridiculous. Yeah. Have yeah. you seen the Monsters one that's coming out? No. Yeah. Oh, God, my gosh. No. Just it's got announced. Crazy. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. fun. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't wait till this one comes out, but it's going to be really cool. Yours. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to it now. Yeah, we got to yeah. <laughs> right so, after the Beatles. Right. That's, that's right. What about with the Netflix and getting some of the movie macabre on to Netflix and doing that? I'm out there right now trying to sell some of the movie macabre, the old yeah, one yeah. and the newer one. I did a series of 26 a couple years ago that was right. not seen by very many people because I did it for syndication and syndication uh-huh. was just in the midst of biting the dust right. when it played. Where It played at like 4 a.m. in the morning and mm. towns, you know, around it. So very few people really got to see it. So I'm trying to find a home for that right now, too. Is that where... Even my old movie, Macabre. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Was that one of the ones, the the recent series, where you took on the persona of Sarah M. Palin? Yes. Which was amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Amazing spoof of Sarah Palin. Thank you. I I was kind of scared myself how much I I looked like her. And you sounded just like her. No, it's really kind of creepy. Creepy, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Not a good person to... Yeah, Sarah Palin monster hunter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so... I would love to have those like on, a, uh, you know, people being able to watch it and more general public instead of people who are up at 4 a.m. You know, <laughs> right. watching diet commercials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a fan of all of your work and um, all of your comedy, I was wondering as a writer and creator of Elvira, what makes you laugh? Because Elvira and 
Sandra also has this great sense of humor. And like your humor oh. comes from a lot of vaudeville. I feel like, I don't know, but I feel like I want to know like what makes you laugh. When I was really young, I used to watch the Ed Sullivan show all the time. And mm-hmm. my favorite things when I was growing up watching comedy wise were the Three Stooges. Okay, that, that says a lot, right? About my sense of humor. Three Stooges. But later on, I Love Lucy. I mean, I just love, yeah. I Love Lucy and Lucille Ball. And then later, people like Phyllis Diller and Joan Rivers, really, you know, it was, it was amazing to be able to see females can do this too and I know I just thought they were even funnier than the guys and you know I, and I like the old slapsticky kind of even the Henny Youngman kind of <laughs> jokes you know take my wife please <laughs> I very much that kind of sense of humor really yeah. lowest common denominator sort of <laughs> well, humor a bit well, I always felt that Elvira had a Groucho Marx vibe yes so that, that too that type of humor and also in the movies and even the TV pilot which is you know you can see on YouTube now yeah. which yeah. I love I the think Elvira show oh, the so Elvira. Funny. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. I'm so, yeah. I mean, that would have been a great show. I thought so. I really <laughs> thought it was going to go to. That was, that's another one of those sour grape stories, but yeah. I won't go into a long story, but <laughs> I was very happy how that show came out, and I wish there would have been a series of it. It had the humor, that self-awareness. That's another thing I love about Elvira it's, as a persona. She seems like she knows that she's on a show. Yeah, but like, yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like, I know I'm performing. And yeah, and it has that sort of that Groucho Marx thing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Just thank like you. That. Yeah, I mean, I, I just grew up with all that kind of humor, and that's kind of where my stupid sense of humor comes from. <laughs> I had two sisters, and I was I always made them recreate scenes from The Three Stooges with me, but I was always Mo. <laughs> I made them be Larry and Curly so that I could poke them in the eyes and hit them and hit them in the head, and I'd go, yeah, but that's not what you're supposed to do. And so I just, like, tortured the hell out of them. <laughs> yeah. Always just smell. <laughs> you got something? Yes. Two, yes, two words. Yes, two words. Yes. Unpleasant dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe I should say that too. This has been really fun. I had no idea this was going to be. Um, do people know what your place looks like that we're doing this show in? Little bits, I guess, yeah. but not really. Yeah, well, yeah, no yeah. one's seen it. Yeah. They're going to know. Yeah. I'm going to videotape some awesome. of it. Awesome. Because this place is awesome. This should be my house. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's great. Oh, That's my great. God. Yeah, and really yeah. unpleasant dreams. Yay. <laughs> Thank you so much. Amazing. Sandra, thank you. <laughs> that was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 308. Special thanks to our guest, Cassandra Peterson, aka Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Follow her at The Real Elvira on Instagram. At time of release, her two new action figures to celebrate 40 years of Elvira in Target stores March 18th. And online, you can get the signature edition at holothon.com and target.com April 1st, and the standard edition at holothon.com and target.com April 8th. Production tracks for this episode provided by Powerman 5000. Till next time, this is Trev for the Boo Crew saying unpleasant dreams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full cast storytelling, the Pora Quest.
queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy or disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.